welcome to Addictions Edited, the SSA podcast. Um, today, we, um, today I am talking to Dr. Karen Berry, who is a research fellow at the University of Stirling, um, who is employed by the Salvation Army Centre for Addiction and Substance Research. Um, now Dr. Berry is doing research on prescribing benzodiazepines for people uh, who also use opiates. So um, before we kind of go into your uh, intervention and the research that you're that you're looking at, can you just briefly describe what benzodiazepines are? Yeah, so benzodiazepines are really a group of drugs that were kind of originally prescribed for anxiety and sleep issues. They're supposed to kind of reduce obviously reduce anxiety, but I think part of that as well is that they can be um a depressant on respir on respiration. So um so that's kind of one of the issues uh, when you're kind of looking at them in tandem with opiates. And also they have um they were found after kind of a time that they're very prone to becoming patients becoming dependent on them and um quite large issues with withdrawing from benzodiazepines as well. So while they were prescribed for quite a long period of time um, regularly, they have kind of fallen out of favour in the last kind of 10 years or so and prescribing has become less and less, particularly in England, there is a lot less prescribing. Um, it's kind of avoided if possible. So They were kind of introduced, I think, as a, a safer version of kind of barbiturates and tranquilizers, but uh, but then slowly they were discovered not to be quite as safe as as originally thought um and they're becoming more popular recently aren't they um uh, street benzodiazepines at least uh, is there a particular reason for that for that um i think there was some thinking behind it that it was related to the fact that people weren't able to get their prescriptions of benzos um, um a lot of them may have been on them for a very long period of time and then when the prescribing stopped they obviously then started to look for them elsewhere so they've become a rising issue, um, both like kind of as illicit benzos that are, there would be drugs that like atizolam that are becoming quite popular and actually they're, it's not a drug that we would use in the UK anyway. It wouldn't be prescribed here anyway, but it's become a big street benzo. Um, and then there's also um, people who are finding kind of, like they are using prescribed diazepam but it's not prescribed to them. So they're right. able to get hold of kind of proper diazepam, but on the street. So there's a yeah. mix in there. As, as some of these kind of versions of um, uh, benzodiazepines, are some of them kind of more, have higher harm profiles than others? Or does it, does the kind of duration of act, action alter? What's the difference between them? I think ultimately the issue with the street benzos is that they don't really know. Um, patients talk about kind of maybe getting a, a strip of blues or yellows but ultimately you don't know what's in them um, you don't know what's what's there um, but atizolam has particularly come out as being um, quite prevalent as a, as a street benzo so yeah. So um, your research and what you're looking at is um it's about developing a a prescribing kind of regime for uh for people who use street benzodiazepines. Now, many many people who who listen to this podcast will be familiar with prescribing regimes for opioids such as methadone or, or Subutex or buprenorphine. 
Um, so why why isn't there such a well established um, prescribing uh, intervention at the moment for benzo people who use benzodiazepines? I think there's there's been issues around whether or not it's it is as simple as um replace like for opiate replacement therapy or um in the field of tobacco um there's been less research done into it so actually understanding if it is a good way to go so i think it's i think it's just it's one of those things that there's been um there's been research that's kind of kind of pointed towards um replacement therapy using benzos as being a good thing but the research isn't there to back it up. So ultimately what we're looking at doing with this intervention is is trying to kind of find a basis for that. And as well as it being a prescribing intervention, it's also a package of psychosocial um kind of care and intervention for participants as well. So so really trying to kind of get to the get to the root of the issue rather than just hoping that prescribing on its own will do the job. So uh, just before just a moment before you kind of describe the intervention. Um uh you've you've chosen to look specifically at people who use both um illicit benzodiazepines and uh, opioids why have you chosen that particular uh, group of people well i mean wouldn't it be simpler just to look at people who use benzodiazepines alone yeah so so the reason for the reason for looking at this group in particular is is to do with the kind of profile of drug related deaths in the uk um it's it's around the fact that Opioids are obviously related to a large percentage of drug-related deaths, but um, in more recent years, and having had the statistics coming out in the past month or so, it shows that actually benzodiazepines um, have been highly implicated along with opiates. So it doesn't tend to be that someone would maybe just have opiates or just have benzos. It's the combination of the two that seems to be kind of showing itself as being the issue in drug related death so because that's i mean it's it's a slightly longer standing issue in scotland with higher drug related deaths relating to benzos but england is catching up so so yeah it's it's a population that really it's trying to trying to look at those drug related deaths and um and address that really um, so, so, so your intervention. You you mentioned that it's a combination of uh, of prescribing and uh, psychosocial um, therapies. Um, can you, yeah, can you explain what the intervention is? So, someone who uses both opiates and illicit um, benzodiazepines says, right, okay, I'll, I'll step forward with this intervention. What what might they receive? So, kind of in the it's initially it's an intervention nurse so it's a it's a nurse who's already related to um addiction services who will be delivering the intervention um and they will then discuss with kind of participants or potential participants what their kind of what their kind of current use of benzos are um we would want to be we would want to know that actually these patients as well were uh, stable on their opioid replacement therapy before starting in the study so we're not changing too many things at once but kind of thinking about the benzos you'd want to think about what, what they're currently on um, and how often they're using and actually making sure that they are dependent on benzos because we don't want to introduce benzos and then <laughs> create more of an issue so um, so ultimately where they will they'll discuss what kind of potential 
prescribing element they would get. Um, the maximum as part of the study would be 30 milligrams of diazepam per day. Um, and then further than that, the intervention nurses will have received additional psycho um, trauma psychoeducation to kind of start to get to the to issues around kind of sleep, anxiety, uh, relationship issues, depression, um, and just like kind of all those things that relate to perhaps why these patients are, are taking benzos in the first place. Because um, there's been this knowledge that actually it's it's very difficult to access some of those services if you're if you're using. So it's trying to provide some of that psychosocial support as well as the prescribing um, at, to enable people to, to think about whether or not they're going to maintain for the length of the intervention period, which is six months, or if they might think that they can then start to reduce the benzo prescription that we are providing over that period. And, and either of those is okay. And it will be a discussion with participants as we go through. It's not, they're not given a regime and told you'll start on this and by the end of it, you're going to be off or reduced. It will be on a case by case basis. And you're not just looking at um, reduced drug use as an outcome, are you? you you've got quite, quite, a, quite a range of measures that you're, that you're measuring along the way. Yeah, so we're looking at, um, we're looking at kind of, we're looking at quality of life. We're looking at anxiety and depression. We're also looking at cognition, which has been um, related to this group of kind of long term use or abuse of benzodiazepines and and the effect that then that then has on their cognition to even kind of kind of engage with an intervention like we're providing um and just to get just to get an idea of actually if if there is any increase in cognition across the length of the study um and we're also looking at we're also kind of asking Around for our kind of health economics outcomes, we're we're asking on kind of like resource use and everything. Because obviously, um, there's massive cost implications of patients being taken to hospital, uh, for overdose, um, or having to kind of access services relating to their drug use, kind of above and beyond their addiction services use. So you mentioned there about uh, about cognition and the the impact that uh, both the prescribing and and, uh, and presumably the street uh, benzodiazepine use um, uh, can have on cognition, and you've come up, come up against some really interesting um, kind of dilemmas almost uh, around cognition and around consent. Can you explain some of the issues that you've come across? Yeah, so I think um, I think it's. It's that way that when you start a study, you kind of consent someone in and you think, right, right, that's it. But I think with this group of patients, there's it's something that you really have to keep an eye on because they may well have consented and been capable of consenting when you started. But whether or not they are at kind of each and every appointment or as you're kind of doing data collection, because we'll be collecting data Initially, it'll be the research team, but then the intervention nurse will be collecting data on a month by month basis as well. So it's 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 really thinking, are they in a position to actually consent to taking that, be giving that data and understanding what's actually going to happen with it? So it's it's something that needs to be kept an eye on. And and I think it's kind of in terms of them actually taking their 
prescription, it's it's difficult because sometimes they they will have forgotten that they've taken it. So it's um I think we've particularly found when we've kind of started the data collection, we've we've been questioning participants on what they're taking at the moment just to get an understanding of what they're on, although we will be testing that through saliva tests as well. But um they kind of I, I you can see that it's it's difficult for them to actually think, oh, kind of how many am I taking? How often am I taking them? Um, and they'll say themselves, oh, I, I forgot I took them, so I just took some more. So it's it's kind of chicken and egg. It's so you're it's they might not even know how many they've taken in a day. So, yeah, it's a bit of a dilemma because like, you know, for research purposes, you need quite a strict um, implementation of that intervention because you need to know whether the intervention as designed worked um, and yet you're reliant on people who are by their definition leading relatively chaotic lives for whom you know on the hour four times a day on a regimented dose is can be a challenge I suppose. Uh-huh. And, I, and I think in terms of that we're kind of um, intervention nurses are obviously when they're prescribing they're saying obviously we would prefer that you took this over the period of the day but on the understanding that actually we'll never we know fine well that actually they might well not do that and they might well still just take them all at once and 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 that's that's what we'll find out we will find out if they're then taking what we're giving them and then through testing through kind of uh, taking saliva samples we will know if they're then taking other um benzos on top of that so your your study is kind of it's a mixed it's a mixed method um and there's a feasibility element to it is that something that you hope to unpick in the in the interviews in the qualitative interviews yeah i think i think the qualitative interviews in terms of the participants because we've obviously got you've got feasibility in in the in terms of can we actually recruit sites to take part which has been difficult enough in the first place <laughs> can you get the participants that you think are out there and will be t- using this intervention but then in terms of from their point of view is it actually something that they would engage with if if they were to come across it again would they tell someone in the same situation yeah it's a good thing to do or would there be kind of that element of oh, there's far too much paperwork to to fill out and <laughs> all the rest of it so it's I think it I mean because you 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 see that through attrition or whether or not they're they look like they're kind of losing the will slightly while you're actually going through the process but I think um I I think those the qualitative interviews will really help with that and I think as well with staff because we're doing the qualitative interviews with the staff and the participants so it'll be really it'll be really helpful to get the kind of both both sides of that story of of if of how difficult it was to kind of do that do that data collection and and actually deliver the intervention and how people were were interacting with that or if ultimately they've come onto the study because they want the prescription and they really don't want to interact with with the rest of what we're trying to offer yeah again it's that kind of um it's that interaction between the uh the kind of i guess the lived experience of the people for whom this intervention is designed and the requirements of the research to for them to for them to be different to that i i, I always find that kind of area fascinating 
and you've had to change your uh, inclusion criteria at, at one point. Why was that? Um, so when we developed the intervention, we developed it with a group of um, kind of it was it was a, a group of clinicians, academics, um, different people who were kind of third sector involved in in working with this group as well. So we had. We had, had we had psychologists, we had consultants, we had all sorts of academics, and as I say, people who are involved with the health economic side of it. Um, and we also had a PPI group, and that was all feeding into this intervention development. And and it was through those groups that we were that we developed our our original inclusion criteria. But I. And and I think at that point there was very much a feeling of, yeah, there's going to be lots of people who are then able to take part off the back of this. But as always with research, when you start to kind of talk to people in the real world who are actually going to have to recruit patients, we started to find kind of issues with our kind of our first inclusion criteria, which initially was that people had had been on a new period of ORT treatment within the last six months. Um, so we then we increased that to 12 months and actually now we're in the process of changing that again to just removing that and just making sure that participants are stable on their ORT because I think what we've what we've found once we kind of start to get patients is that a lot of them are actually patients who have been on ORT for a very long time and maybe the benzo thing is quite a new thing so you don't want to just say well they're not the ones we're trying to deal with because they are so so while kind of keeping them safe um it just hopefully allows us to open it up slightly and get the participants we need for the study uh, so you mentioned that you you've had a ppi group so you've had kind of um a service user involvement, people with lived experience. What what's that been like to set up, and and what what contribution has that made to the study? Um, I think it's made it's made a really big contribution because we tried to, um, we tried to have, we had as many meetings with the PPI group as we had with the kind of intervention development group in terms of the kind of academics and clinicians, and between the two of them, we were always taking. Once we had one meeting, we started with the intervention development group. We took the feedback from that and we took that into the PPI group and we kind of carried on doing that each meeting so that everyone was on the same page and everyone was happy with it. And I think it it really I think it helped. The kind of more academic clinician side realise that there were maybe issues that they didn't see as being particularly important, but that the people with lived experience really did see. And a lot of that was around kind of, kind of it was it was a lot around like fear of people taking away a, a benzo script and fear of saying to their maybe their CPN that they were taking something else because then something might get changed and that that would be really difficult. And then they were I mean they just I think it it was the the way they spoke about it really made us think that actually the the kind of psychosocial stuff is really important because that's what they they always talk about where it started and why it started and that kind of root issue of their of their benzo or, or drug use being related to something that kind of needs to be addressed rather than 
I just started doing that and that's it. So I think um I think they they definitely had a big say in in aspects of the of the um intervention as well. They they were the ones that suggested we have um a kind of online platform for participants to be able to dip in and out and get a bit of information. Um, there's discussion boards on that as well, so they can they can ask different questions under different headings to get that to get kind of a bit of feedback, whether that's from clinicians or whether it's from someone else who's taking part in the study, and and I think I think hopefully that'll kind of give them kind of some sort of ownership of of what what's there and what they can can look at. Because I think the issue that we came out with is that there's there's a, a strong message of harm reduction in this intervention but it's very difficult to give someone that information all at once <laughs> i mean i think all of us you get given leaflets when you go go to appointments for different things and you come home and they end up in a nice little pile underneath everything else and you're not thinking about it but when something comes to mind and you think well actually this would be helpful now then they can go and have a look at that if sleep's an issue for them then they can have a look at that um, rather than going and having an appointment, getting all of that information thrown at them and thinking, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. And as well, because we know that they do have these kind of issues around cognition and memory. So yeah, they've, they've had a really big say in it. So it's been good. It's fantastic. Um, so uh, when is this running? When do you expect to get uh, results through for this, from this study? Um, well, we've, so we've started our data collection now. So we are up and running in two sites and our third is just to start. Um, I think in terms of having like our first full six month participant should be finished by end of January next year. Um, so I think that'll be when we kind of start to get a bit of an idea. Hopefully now that we've, we're kind of getting the ball rolling in, in more sites, it'll... <laughs> information will start to trickle in a bit faster but um but yeah i mean the study finishes um end of july next year so everything will be out by then so yeah but we'll be we'll be kind of updating people as we go along as well it's a really important area uh, benzodiazepines and prescribing and particularly those uh, those fascinating areas around cognition and consent um uh, dr karen berry thank you so much for your time talking to us about this today Thank you very much.